Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. In the day and age of quick fixes and desperate need for solutions, there are many individuals who take the opportunity to promote treatments as effective, even though there may not be adequate research or support. These could be treatments for things like weight loss, infertility, autism, diabetes control, Some people are trying to get rich quick, and others may simply just be sharing information without verifying the facts. I want to talk today a little bit about facts and fads and place an emphasis on characteristics that will help you distinguish between science and pseudoscientific treatment approaches. As stated in Forbes, 10 questions that can help distinguish science from pseudoscience are as follows. The first thing to consider is what is the source? If we are looking at something that's peer-reviewed, that's established in the research, that's evidence-based, that's coming from a credible individual who has competence in that area, then we're more likely to trust the information and we're more likely to take what is stated as fact. It's always really important to look directly at the source and to go to the direct source, such as in the case when an article or study is mentioned It's not okay as a scientist to share information based on the title without delving deeper and actually reading the study yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have fun and that you can't share information online, such social media sites such as Facebook, but it does mean that if Facebook is your only source or Google is your only source, it may not be reputable. You also want to make sure that the individual whose material you're reading or who conducted the research isn't the only individual who has provided evidence. Or you want to make sure that the individual who has created the the product or the program or the process isn't the only person who's also demonstrating, quote, the effects. So it's important to think about the source as well as the agenda of the person who's giving you the information or who's providing that resource. What kind of language is used? Does it say all or nothing kinds of promises? Is it a cure for you know psoriasis and um, gut issues as well as sleeplessness and weight loss? Or is it something that is specific to one type of intervent- uh, uh, implementation and that that intervention is specific to um, specific outcomes? that's going to be important in trying to determine whether or not it is sort of uh, clickbait, right? So things that make you just jump right in, like you'll never believe this, or mother finds her child under school bus, and it's like the school bus was parked in an old junkyard and their pencil ran under it, right? So when you see titles that are catchy, that are provocative, Um, sometimes that is an indicator that the information is going to be more based on opinions rather than facts. So when we think about the language, it's important to consider testimonials. Now, I believe in lots of products and I have favorite things that I can tell you about, but also it's really important to look at what does the science say behind that, right? So I can tell you that Dawn gives me um, wonderful soft hands and I don't get dishpan hands when I wash the dishes. But the fact that it is uh, an agent that breaks down oil, right, and can be used to help oil spills and clean animals and ducks and things in 
in the waterways that get impacted by that. That's science. That's not my opinion. That's fact. And so you may see uh, situations where people are saying, hey, behavior analysis is wonderful. Behavior analysis has saved my life. It worked. That's a testimonial. Um, That doesn't mean that it's incompatible with science. It could be very consistent with science. But when you're looking at the source, look at the agenda, look at the language, and, and ask yourself, is your evidence only restricted to testimonials? And if that's something that you see, then that would be a red flag for saying, hey, this is something that might be sort of science-like or what we mean by pseudoscience, fake science, right? A lot of times when we think about uh, pseudoscientific interventions or approaches, the reason why people glom onto them, the reason why we all want to jump on board is A, because we would like to see a quick fix to some pretty chronic problems like um, sugar management or uh, exercise and increasing that in our life, right? So there's a reason why, but also because there's, it's usually rooted in some science. So try to detect what part is fact and what part is fiction, or try to explore things that you're not sure if they are evidence, if there's any, um, you know, facts behind it, any test, more than just the testimonials, but the testament uh, through evidence. Are there claims of exclusivity, meaning that um, only this person who's trained in this way or this person who has received this message or this person who is delivering this message or this agency or this group, like only we can do it, only a certain handful of individuals. If so, if it feels kind of holier than thou, that might also be a red flag or um, some sort of indicator because although behavior analysis, for example, um, requires a lot of training, although we see that in the field of psychology and with sociology um, and other related uh, fields, you know, it's not something that can't be replicated if the time was dedicated. So when we see situations where it's limited to a location where somebody lives or a kind of upbringing that they had, uh, that may not be um, as you know convincing as something that says follow these sets of procedures and you should achieve these outcomes as well. Science is something that can be replicated. So if you can't get clear replications of an effect, then you want to tighten up the confounding variables. You want to make sure you're looking at those studies. You want to make sure you're looking at the journals or the information that comes from peer-reviewed sources, especially if you're not going to delve in that deep on every issue that comes across your Facebook screen. So again, what's the source? What's the agenda? What's the language? Is it exclusive? Um, Are there only testimonials? Is there a conspiracy mentioned of any kind? Is it provocative? Is it controversial? Does the claim involve multiple unassociated disorders? So it's going to help um, make your you know, aggressions less likely. It's going to decrease tantrums, in, improve your sleep, and it's going to give you a shinier, healthier head of hair. Um, that's something that might be able to be accomplished with, with something like c- coconut oil, um, but less likely to be accomplished with something that's also going to cure um, gut issues and your skin issues and also, um, you know, help you learn to fly a kite. Does the, uh, is there a money trail or do you see a passionate belief involved? Is there something that you can trace back to somebody's product, their book, their software, their information? Is there access to some of that information for free? It's okay if people want to 
um, you know, sell their expertise or if they want to get paid for the work that they do, that's completely understandable and acceptable. But if it's, you know, $19.95 gets you the first packet and then you buy in and then you get the second packet and you have all these add-on deals, you know, truly from a behavior analytics standpoint, from our view as a, as a scientist, we need, are there to be able um, to deliver information in a way that can be received by others. We are there to provide access to a problem-solving science. We are not there to convolute and make things cloudier. We are there to clear things and make a path and be systematic and replicate things. And that's true with um, most sciences or with all sciences. You know, what is the real process involved? Is it a scientific process? Does it involve investigation, replication, verification? Um, you know, what is the prediction? Are you able to turn on and off? Can the intervention show the effect? Can we isolate the effect to that intervention and say, hey, we know it's as a result of what they were doing that why, you know, that is why we got that change. That is why their glucose levels went down. That is why their, you know, aggressions decreased. That is why their communication increased. And it's really important to look at the expertise. Is it somebody who's a self-proclaimed expert, somebody who has identified that they have experience but don't necessarily have credentials or publications, um, or just, you know, maybe truly a good, strong life experience can certainly bring a lot of information and value into conversations. It's not to say that you have to have, you know, a PhD or be, you know, a licensed behavior analyst in order to be the only one to talk about science or behavior analysis. But you are going to be looking for who who are the experts here? You know, do we see stuff from uh, licensed physicians? Do we see uh, credible medical and mental health professionals? Do we see educational professionals? Or do we see people with self-appointed titles that are defined and described by the places that they are employed by. And if so, that would also be a red flag. So it's not one of these 10, it's a consideration of a combination of all of these 10. And that is, again, information that's offered from Forbes.com to distinguish between science and pseudoscientific interventions. Dr. Jason Travers, who is a PhD level behavior analyst, also has done a great deal of work in helping families and consumers of our science help uh, evaluate the claims so that they can avoid um, you know, coming in contact with unproven and often harmful practices, especially as it pertains to special education. And in 2016, in a publication, he stated that when special educators are presented with claims about interventions, they should consider whether there's a sufficient body of rigorous scientific evidence that warrants that belief. If they are unconvinced by the evidence or if the evidence indicates it will not be effective, teachers are advised to avoid using the intervention. Some additional science, uh, some therapies that help us, uh, excuse me, some additional information that help us identify pseudoscientific therapies, some warning signs as offered by the Association for Science and Autism Treatment or ASAT are here the following. If there's again the high success rates being claimed, rapid effects are promised, you know, lose 20 pounds by the end of the weekend, those kinds of things. Grow your hair 10 inches, you know, get very long nails overnight, um, those kinds of rapid effects. Uh, start talking tomorrow. Um, if the therapy is said to be effective for many symptoms or disorders, so this is a very consistent list with some of the things that we just reviewed, if the theory behind uh, the therapy contradicts what we know as objective knowledge and sometimes just common sense, 
If it's something that's easy to administer, if there's absolutely no training or expertise, same thing if the pendulum swings to the other side where only one person can do it. If everybody can do it, that should also be an alert and cause for um, a red flag there. If other proven treatments are said to be unnecessary, inferior, or harmful, if they're discounting where there's clear evidence, that should also be viewed as concerning. Any promoters of the therapy, if they're working outside their area of expertise, so you're going to want to become savvy in, uh, con- in as consumers or as providers to protect the profession and the public so that we know when people uh, have the appropriate education, training, and competence and whether or not they are practicing within or with outside their scope. And a lot of that's going to have to do with experience as well as the training. If the promoters are benefiting financially and nobody else is benefiting, or if it's not something that, again, can be replicated, that's something to be concerned about, as well as having anecdotes, personal accounts in place of strong evidence. If you see catchy, emotional appealing, again, those you know clickbait kinds of things, you want to be cautious, but in the world of online social media, sometimes that is how people feel they get attention, um, perhaps, or that's how... Um, things uh, get responses in a marketing world. So it can be harder to discern as we look at the different forums in which people are now promoting and, and conversing and having these conversations. If the belief and faith are said to be necessary, so just trust, just close your eyes, you know, click your heels three times. Um, again, that's something that you should be skeptical of because with the scientific process, we should be able to outline steps. We should be able to be technological. We should be able to replicate, get strong and you know adherence, strong fidelity, good internal validity, extend and replicate and try to get the same results and see if it externally um, generalizes. And if so, that's definitely a sign of something that's a more scientific approach. If it's lacking that, if you have to trust that doesn't seem consistent and uh, with science. Um, And if your skepticism is going to make the effects less effective, that's different than having poor fidelity. If you're not going to implement something, you're not going to try, it's probably not going to work whether it's rooted in science or not. But if you um, tell me that because I don't believe in unicorns that I will never see a unicorn and that therefore unicorns do exist and I'm just blind to them, I don't think that you're going to compel me to then uh, have evidence that there are unicorns. And my skepticism doesn't then change your ability to see them if they are truly in the room or in our presence. Promoters, if they resist objective evaluation, so if people say, hey, let's measure this, let's look at this, a lot of currently emerging or established treatments started off as questions. And some of them have been demonstrated to be incredibly effective, some more than others, and some have been demonstrated to be harmful. And so we want to make sure that we are doing our due diligence, that we're starting with the research, that we're being conceptually systematic, and that if we are the ones you know, blaring a new path, that we are documenting and taking data along the way. If negative findings from really rigorous scientific studies are just dismissed versus, you know, dialogued about, uh, a true scientist will not dismiss data. They will um, try to digest it and they will try to interpret it and then they will design new investigations to learn more about what that data showed them. So it's incredible to realize that 
there's a lot of individuals, uh, myself, yourself included, that would benefit from something that could happen overnight or that could be quick. And a lot of research is dedicated at trying to find solutions to things faster, such as, like, you know, how we might solve certain cancers or, or uh, ailments that are plaguing us. And it's a pity that there are people who are putting uh, different motivations other than what is best for an individual in their society at the forefront. And scientists have ethical codes and um, non-scientists do not. So that's a couple of things to keep in mind when we are thinking about the difference between facts and fads and how to tell science from pseudoscientific approaches. For more information, there's an entire page dedicated to this on my site. Go ahead and check it out at www.behaviorbabe.com.